It's always in the general sense. It's always in the macro sense. At some point, it has to get specific. It has to get laser-like. It has to get right to the heart of the matter. Who do you say Jesus is? Because that's what Jesus here says. He says, not who do men say that I am. He's not having an identity crisis. He's not struggling with who he is. This is for them. He says, now, who do you say that I am? Notice, Jesus goes from the general to the specific. Jesus goes from out there to in here. Jesus goes from them to you. Who do you say that I am? This is not just a question that we can talk about. This is a question that we must answer. Let me get even more specific and practice what I'm preaching. This is a question you must answer. Not just we. This is a question you must answer for yourself. Who is God to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say Jesus is? I'm talking to some here this morning. Who Jesus is to you is he's your dad's God. Who Jesus is to you is he's your mom's God. Jesus is your husband's God and Savior. Jesus is your wife's Lord and Savior. But that's not the question. It's not who is Jesus to them. It's who is Jesus to you. Who is Jesus to you? That is the most important question. That is the question that must be answered. And here's the tragedy. Week after week, people are content to come into the life of the kingdom as expressed, as we'll see even more definitively next week, the church. The kingdom's not just some vague entity that's out there somewhere happening. The kingdom of God is the local church. The Lord loves it. He came and bought it. He laid down his life for her. I don't mean this building. I mean us. Those here present. The bodies in this room. The souls for which he has died. The Lord loves the church. And he's given his life for the church. But there are those who are content. And we're glad to do so. We want to be hospitable. But there is a weakness in hospitality. And here's the weakness. And by the way, please, if you're visiting with us this morning, don't think for a second that I'm trying to make you feel bad about being here. Not at all. But this is, this is like a family message, right? And it gets to the heart of the matter that there are many people who've come here for years or weeks or however long the Lord knows. You are, you are comforted by the hospitality here at the church. You are strengthened by the friendships here at the church. You enjoy singing together with the saints but you've not answered this question, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say Jesus is? Because it's not about any of those other things. All those other things are just the cherry on top. They're the fruit of family. They're the fruit of the gospel. They're the fruit of the Spirit's work. But we cannot skip over this question. And yet I'm afraid many have. You ever have a teacher in your, your education years who would give you a lecture, you turn in your test, you went through it hastily, and you left blanks. And God's providence, I always had teachers that didn't let me turn in anything with blanks. That was a standard that was less than my best. And so they would just hand it right back to me and just say, you need to at least attempt a measure 
of effort here. That's what we're talking about. I'm afraid many, many people in the life of the church have skipped over who do you say Jesus is, and they're content to fool themselves, to delude themselves, and go on in the life of the church, enjoying the benefits of the church. And I don't even necessarily mean like in some malicious way, but they are just self-deceived. If you think I'm overstressing this point too far, let me just remind all of us here this morning that as Jesus is asking this question, Peter may be the spokesman, but present there that day is Judas. And Judas did not answer the question. He smiled. He looked good. He was where he was supposed to be. He was serving the Lord. We can go on and on. You get the point. But there was somebody who really needed to answer that question that day and hastily did not. And even though Peter's over here talking, there is Judas here in the corner who desperately needs to answer this question. Who do you say I am? Fourthly, we see in verse 16 the insight that is given. Notice what Peter says. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We all know in Peter's life that there are high moments. We also know that there are low moments. I want you to know, I just want to remind all of us that this is a high moment for Peter. We often kick Peter when he's down and uh, because he's so visible, he's so dominant. There's so many good qualities that turn bad for Peter. But this is a good moment. This is a sovereign grace moment. This insight that, that Peter, we've already recognized, Matthew's already introduced in Matthew chapter 10. We're not turning there, but as he walks through the calling of the disciples as, as God sends them out, as Jesus sends them out two by two, Peter's always mentioned first in most of the lists. He's just the spokesman apostle. We'll see that this conversation continues next week as Jesus declares his future intentions for building his church. And he lets it be known to this spokesman through, through Peter as Peter's engaging him. The insight that is given, Peter says, you are the Christ and you are the son of the living God. What is this? This is divine enabling. We've seen the natural answers that have been offered up. Now we see a divine confession. This is the best confession to date here in Matthew's gospel. Here, this is the truth. Here, this is a confession that can save the soul if the heart follows the mouth, as Paul describes in Romans chapter 10. Salvation with confession. The mouth makes confession. The heart believes unto righteousness. If this is done salvifically, this is what saves the soul. By grace, through faith, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are many who cannot say this, will not say this, won't say it. But here, Peter bats it out of the park. This joins some previous, not as clear confessions. Matthew 15, 27, we just recently saw the Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman's confession. When she said even the dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs of the table. She understands the paradigm. She understands his messiahship, his lordship. Matthew 8, 1, we saw the leper's faith of belief as he confesses Christ. Matthew 8, 10, when Jesus heard the centurion's kind of confession about who he was, Jesus heard it. He marveled and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you that such great faith I have not seen even in all of Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east, the west, and sit down and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Those have been some 
prior confessions that we've seen up until this point. But here, this is the greatest confession yet. You, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who was Jesus? He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. Here, Peter is confessing the incarnation. God with us. Emmanuel. God has come. Son of the living God. Notice the word living. Here, where they are, there's Caesarea Philippi, the pagan land of Baal and Pan and Caesar Augustus worship. Peter's saying all those gods are dead. But God, you are not dead. You are the God who lives. You are the son of the living God. You are the self-existent God. You are the second member of the, tri- of, the, of the Godhead. You are the second member of the Trinity. You have come as God in flesh. You are the living God. You are not dead. You are alive. This echoes what Adventure Club lesson. If you're listening carefully, Adventure Club students and young people, we saw Elijah, 1 Kings 18. What did Elijah do on Mount Carmel? He had this contest with the prophets of Baal. What did they do? They all cried out to their gods. And Elijah said, keep crying. Maybe your God is bored. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God can't hear you. Cry louder. They began to do everything known to man, cutting themselves, hoping to get Baal's attention. And Elijah calls out to Yahweh, the true and living God, and fire falls down and burns up the sacrifice. That's what you call the living God. And here, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So how does this happen? How did, P- did Peter get the cheat code? Did Peter get the answers to the test ahead of time? How does this happen? Well, verse 17, lastly, number 5, the illumination answers this for us. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, implied here, has revealed this to you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Peter's confession is not based upon personal investigation. Peter's confession here is not based upon the scientific method. Peter's confession is not based upon more historical and archaeological research and discovery. Peter's confession here is not based upon anything outside of what we would say is divine revelation. He's blessed. Jesus looks at him and says, blessed are you. You are blessed. This word blessed is the same word that is used in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, happy, hilariously, overflowing, blessed and graced are you, Peter, for you have received light. This is a gift from God to you, Peter. In other words, Peter, this doesn't come from you. And no one's going to worship you because of this. Your confession, Peter, doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Your confession is not explained by you. Your confession is explained by His sovereign grace upon you. We don't believe in Christ as the Son of God by any other thing than the grace of God in Christ. We don't believe in Christ as the Son of God because we're good people. We don't believe in Christ as the Son of God because we're born in a certain part of the country. We don't believe in Christ as the Son of God because we belong to a certain family. As I said a moment ago, some of you, who is Jesus to you? Well, He's your parents' Savior, but He's not your Savior. We were once like Peter, blind, lost, 
blind from all the light of the spiritual knowledge of God until God had mercy upon me and you. The new birth opened our eyes to see, like Lydia in Acts 17, Lydia attending a prayer meeting, religious but lost, in the right place, doing the right thing, going to church. We often kind of make, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but my goodness, when you go to church, you can hear the truth and be converted. Praise the Lord. The act doesn't make you a Christian. But it's there where the Word of God, if the Word of God is preached and proclaimed, it's there where the gospel is proclaimed. There is opportunity. We see Lydia, Acts chapter 17 tells us she went to a prayer meeting led by Paul, and her heart was opened. And she saw her need to be saved. Verse 17 here of our text, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but the Father does. Here's the good news of the gospel found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Father delights in opening the eyes of the lost, the blind, and the dead, raising the dead to life. Verse 17, my Father who is in heaven. Notice how he uses Peter's name, Simon Barjona. That's not by mistake. He's saying, you are the son of Jonah, Peter, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but who has revealed this to you is not Jonah, but your heavenly father. The heavenly father has revealed this truth to you by grace, through faith, Peter, you are a child of God. And friends, today, if you're here confessing Christ as Lord, I just want to remind us all of the sovereign grace of God found in the gospel. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to us. Thank God he uses messengers, amen? But it's not the Sunday school teacher that saved you. It wasn't my father who saved me as he led me and showed me the truth of the gospel. As I said, Dad, I just need to be saved. Why won't you let me get saved? I had come to them multiple times. And my parents were just trying to carefully make sure that you know, they weren't doing something flippantly. They were trying to make sure the Holy Spirit was at work in my heart. That it was the Lord and not pressure from anyone else a well-intending worker, a well-intended worker, or someone in the church, or whatever, just be trying to, as most parents, they just don't want to mess it up, right? We get it. And I just finally looked at my dad and said, why won't you let me get saved? And I didn't mean any disrespect by it. I just knew I needed I was lost. And I knew if I died at six years old in my sins, I was going to hell. That's called grace, friends. Nobody was scaring me unnecessarily. It's just the truth. It's just called divine revelation. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Heavenly Father who is in heaven. Your Sunday school teacher didn't save you. Your mom and dad didn't save you. Your friend who gave you that gospel track or gave you your first Bible or when you walked into that service and you heard the gospel preached, that preacher didn't save you, thank goodness. You have the testimony of my dad, the very preacher who he was saved under as he was awakened to life, departed from the faith, and became an apostate. My dad did not find that out till years later, and that rattled him. It just unnerved him, and it came back full circle to the sovereign grace of God in Christ, that it's not from the preacher. It's from God. It's rooted in God. Here's what I'm trying to say. God delights in using men. God has chosen to use men. There is no excuse for us men not to be faithful to the work of the gospel. God chooses not only the ends, he chooses the means. But we all need to be reminded that your favorite preacher, he's not the Savior. We love our parents, but they're not the Savior. We love our teachers who ministered to us in the most formative years of our life. Paul says to Timothy, your mother, Lois, and your grandmother, they have ministered to you. They have taught you these things. Don't forget them, Timothy. 
the things which you have learned and heard? Do. But they didn't save Timothy. It's a reminder to all of us here this morning as we say, who is Jesus? There's only one answer to this question. He is the Christ, and he is the Son of the living God, and he's my God. I've turned and trusted and rested in him and him alone for salvation. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Nothing substituted, as we saw last week, in his place. As we conclude this morning, just some concluding thoughts for us to ponder and ask the Holy Spirit of God to apply. You can't get Jesus wrong and get God right. And so many people do. And may the Lord help us to see the right understanding, the right vision of who Jesus is, who he says he is, as the Son of God, as Peter confesses him to be. As we think about the cause and the claims of Christ, who is Jesus? He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's come to seek and to save the lost. He's come to save his people from their sins. Isaiah 45, 22, look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other person. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, this morning, I invite you to come to Christ. Come to Jesus and believe in Him, rest in Him, and rest in Him alone. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your truth, Your Word. And Father, we thank You for the Holy Spirit of God who works in this place even now, revealing the truth to men, opening blinded eyes, opening hearts to understand their need, where like the Philippian jailer, they say, what must I do to be saved? That's, that is what we pursue in our evangelism, is the what must I do to be saved exclamation. Lord, will we be faithful here at Grace to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and be faithful to the commands that you've given to your church, to be comforted by the presence that you are with us always, even to the end of the age as we live faithfully to your gospel. Teach it, preach it, live it. Father, we pray that you would use grace to continue to add, as we sang this morning, many sons to glory. It's in your Christ's name we pray.